by rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, Check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. This is Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bane X Bramble on Instagram. And today I have a friend and very fun special guest with us. Please, everybody, welcome Kobe Michaels of the Poisoner's Apothecary. Hi, Kobe. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, we're just going to jump right into it. What are we talking about today? We're talking about um, a cute little subject that I think is maybe at one point in time kind of like taboo in the occult magical witchcraft community, but now feels very, like, very prevalent and very forward. Um, And it feels like like that's kind of quite a bit of the conversation and that's poison plants and and uh flying ointments and things like that so i think this will be a juicy topic because i have opinions and um who better to bring on than somebody who's quite knowledgeable in the poison uh poison path in the poison plant world so uh kobe do you identify as like a witch or a cultist or what what do you do what do you do that's a very, very good question. We were actually just talking about that um, last night, the difference between um, which occultists, like how I define myself. And I definitely identify with both. Um, I would say that other people would probably call me a witch and I would totally um, own up to that. That's definitely kind of my, my archetype and my realm of, of working is, is largely based on um, you know, that idea of more traditional European um, witchcraft and its, um, you know, antecedents back into to history. And personally, from like my own approach, I would say that it's probably more of an occultist um, or kind of like just because it has a little bit more of that academic element to it, um, very, very into the research side of it and, um, you know, incorporating other... Uh, mystic traditions and you know, Western esotericism and things like that. Yeah, I um, really enjoy the work that you do. And I also think it's very important. Um, you know, I, I love a good label. I'm very pro-label. You know, I'm very <laughs> opinionated on what makes a witch. But it, it's interesting. It's like if somebody like throws on the title of witch, especially if you're like, kind of outside of the witchcraft world and it's like if I had to check a box like yes I guess I would I would check that box or like when people like say like oh I'm 
I'm not actually pagan, but like, yeah, like I, I guess I'd identify as that if I had to like choose a religion. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I would still, I don't know. I think that what I'm practicing is definitely witchcraft, but it's not, not a term that I, I guess I really throw around to describe myself or I, I try to avoid describing myself or putting a label on it as much as possible and just kind of let everyone else do it. Cause it is, it's a subjective thing and people's perspectives. So I try and leave it open to interpretation. That's very good. It's allowing other people to dress you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. I've never heard that term, that terminology before. Allowing, for 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 labeling oh thank you i just pulled it out of my ass i like that i think a lot of folk practitioners because i know people who like are secretly witches and they're in the magical community so they they like they're about it they're about that life but they literally will be like oh i don't call myself that even though they really are like where they're like Seeny at the Sabbath girl, not actually, but like for <laughs> metaphorically speaking, it's like, I, I know I see you mm. and I know the kind of stuff that you do, some of it. Um, and I know it's coming from a place of like <laughs> the devil's flame, but like it, they're like, oh yeah, I just, I don't call myself that. I'll just call myself a folk magician to like the, the wider general public and I'll like never admit to actually what I do. And I actually really admire and respect that, especially because of the history of the word. Um, Cause it's an uncomfy word. Well, isn't that the most witchiest thing though? I do like a little bit of uncomfiness. <laughs> um, so Kobe, <laughs> uh, as, as a plant occultist, as an occultist, um, when did you, when did you firstly even get into this in general this big wide world of whatever it is that we do and also um how did you get on to the poison path well <clears throat> so i've been uh, practicing witchcraft since i was about 12 or 13. i got my very very first ever um little book of spells uh, I was actually visiting my dad up at his lake cottage because my parents were divorced and so there were certain things that I could get away with there that I wouldn't be able to get away with um, with my mom and that was um, one of those things and found this little booklet at a grocery store and had these all these love spells and things in it and I wasn't really even looking for love spells but it was just like so like enamored and enchanted by that because, you know, prior to that, all I really knew was like focus, focus and the craft and cartoon witches and things that I'd seen on TV. So that was really my first kind of message from the rest of the world that was like, you know, you're not the only person that thinks about this stuff or is doing this kind of thing. And it's just always been such an integral part of who I am. Um, you know, just in, in the topics that I've been interested in since I was a little kid, they have all kind of fed into um, to my, my witchcraft. Um, you know, so we're going on probably about 20, 20 years of, you know, seriously, like reading, researching, studying. I spent a big chunk of my, um, like, early teenage years down in the basement on the computer um looking at porn and witchcraft information so. <laughs> <laughs> what a mood 
Yeah. That sounds very familiar. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, I'm like, no, that is what my search history is. Mm-hmm. The majority of your life, it still is mine, girl. Like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I think I think it's very it's very that. I was actually just talking to somebody yesterday and I was talking about <laughs> relationships actually and I was telling them I was like, you know, for a long time I was like I don't think I would want to date another um magical practitioner, but now my perspective has completely changed and I'm like I think being a magical practitioner of some kind and of course we would have to like operate within the same wheelhouse like you'd probably have to like have your own tradition and and you know like a very based tradition and in, in fact in history and folklore and, and things like that and I would have mine but like um it's such an integral part of who I am that to have to consistently explain or like to be in an environment where somebody who like doesn't get it and I just don't think it would ever, I don't think we'd be compatible. How do you feel about that, Marshall? Um, I don't like dating. I know. General. I don't, <laughs> I don't date. I don't, I don't want to date. The idea of dating another practitioner, I guess, I mean, in theory, I wouldn't mind it. I don't know if I want to practice with them though, because I'm such a solitary practitioner. I couldn't imagine myself I actually I don't have to imagine myself I have cast with other people before and I was very uncomfortable um I felt like I wasn't getting deep into my own trance states I wasn't I was too very aware of their existence and because he wanted to do it a little bit differently than how I was wanting to do it 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 was kind of like okay well why don't you do yours and I'll do mine and that sounds better (laughs) I know you I know you don't like dating. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really don't like dating at all. I don't like dating either. I another topic for another time. Right. I know. Right. Mm. Um. <laughs> so, Kobe, you've kind of like brought a lot of the information. I think because you you are you have the Poisoner's Apothecary Shop. You do classes and workshops. Um, you're very knowledgeable about what you do and I know it's not all just poison plant magic and and theogenic experiences and and it's so much broader than that because you and I have had conversations but what what is sort of the research and and you know what drives you to continue to push along on the the poison path like I know it's such an integral part of your practice so like tell me tell me all about it Oh gosh. Well, I don't I don't know what drives me sometimes. Sometimes I feel like it's it's a combination of anxiety and a coping mechanism and just this weird like internal fire that I have going all of the time. So it's almost like it's it's sort of an obsession that I've managed to turn into you know something that I can do as a living and to to share with other people. But it's definitely one of those things that I've just been, um, you know, so obsessed with that I just dove dove into it um, really, really deeply. But um, so the question was just how how did I how did I find them? How did I start with the poison plants? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what was the research that went into it as well? The research, right? Oh gosh. So 
but I think the thing that has really drawn me to the poison path and kept me on the poison path is that the information that I've been able to find about these plants has sort of connected to all of these different elements that I've resonated with um, in my own practice over the years. So you've got the the chthonic sorcery, the underworld working, um, working with the dead is sort of a little bit more left-hand path oriented. You've got the sex element, you've got the, <clears throat> you know, association with all of these, you know, more Luciferian spirits and things like that. So um, <clears throat> it was just sort of the realization that you know, this, this group of plants was just sort of the key to to all of these different practices that I was identifying with and kind of a way to sort of weave it all together into something more um, cohesive. And so the, the research is, is largely historical research at first, um, you know, just looking through, through the plants folklore and how different groups of people have viewed them throughout history, <clears throat> different common names that have been used about them that kind of tell the plant story and how they've been perceived um, throughout the years. So I call it um, sort of building like a, a symbolic vocabulary or it's almost like learning, learning a new language when you're learning about a spe specific plant, you're learning all of the, the nuance to its spirit, all of the details, you know, sort of its life history. Um, and that just gives you a really sort of intimate, um, intimate understanding of it. And then moving beyond that, it turned from you know, more of like a esoteric and occult practice to now I really want to use these practically for their mind altering effects. So now I need to understand you know, more of the chemistry and um, you know, I already kind of had a background in, in herbalism you know, just as far as making um, like basic herbal preparations and things. So. Been, it's touched on a lot of different areas and I've had to kind of become become an expert of, of these different topics that I definitely wasn't um, you know necessarily an expert at to begin with but um, some of the, the chemical 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 things with alkaloids and extractions and talk about like isomers and the little molecules and things like that so but it's interesting to see how the like the science and the chemistry, support a lot of the the unseen and the spiritual qualities and the different <clears throat> um, chemical effects that the plants have on our brains and the unique ways that that changes it and how those correspond to like a lot of the the magical accounts of people working with these plants historically as far as their you know their perception or the experience of the trip being just a little bit different um, from plant to plant that sort of mirrors some of the differences in their esoteric properties too. Yeah, I completely understand the 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 suddenly being thrown into learning about like chemistry and stuff like that. I mean, I always took an interest in chemistry ever since I was a kid, and I just posted. Um, Yesterday, actually, I was like, you know, when I was in high school, I thought about going into biochemistry and eventually um, going into like cosmetic chemistry because I wanted to be a perfumer or to work uh, for like uh, a large 
like uh, conglomerate like PNG or something like that for like <laughs> making uh, makeup and skincare. But uh, I didn't do that, um, clearly. And, but I, I definitely understand it's very interesting to, especially because I do perfumery now and like seeing these particular aspects of, ooh, I hate that I said that. I hate that I was like, ooh, I do perfumery now. Um, anyway, <laughs> but but um, I guess that is kind of something that I do. And it's interesting to pick apart some of these particular chemicals, these aroma molecules, um, you know, these, these individual selected uh, molecules from, you know, these really big chains of, of different chemicals that are found in plants and kind of inspecting that and um, viewing that in an animistic perspective, which is, um, confusing and complicated and uh, we don't need to get into it but it's very it's very interesting. I did want to mention though because you noted um, cosmetics and perfumery and things that the nectar of Venus that you gave me the other weekend I've been using that like every day and I love it. <gasps> thanks <Yeah>. thanks <laughs> I'm gonna have to get um, some more out because I have several people and they're like oh do you like are you like selling that and I'm like um not yet, but yes, <laughs> soon. The Nectar of Venus, does it have like a, a, a specific intention or more so the general intention of Venus that you can work with in that, that category? So it's a hyaluronic acid serum for like skincare. And then um, it's prepared on like during the particular like auspicious Venus times and days and hours and some other planets or a other planet as well. And then, so it's all made under the auspice of, of Venus and the moon. And, um, you know, it's got a cute little Venus Kamea on it. And it's just made from, you know, fresh distilled rose water. It's just to give you some plumpness, some firmness, some hydration. Mm. We love a good thirsty skin. We love a hydrated <laughs> queen. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Take a screenshot. Mm. Boleen. <laughs> Boleen. 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 <laughs> it's, it's actually love just it. formaldehyde. Um, formaldehyde in a bottle. Um, but yeah, I think the intersection of like not necessarily needing to because I don't find this like deep need to like scientifically hold my craft accountable but I think it is very interesting when you start to work with like in your in what you do you know kind of looking at atropines and uh different chemicals as well and kind of inspecting and, and working with those and finding where that science does back up magic at the same time, even though I don't necessarily think that we need to do that constantly, but it is very interesting to see where they intersect. Regarding the poison path, um, how has this informed your practice? I know we, we've talked about it before, especially like your, um, we've, I've brought you on a live before and we've talked like about your, spooky trip experience with Belladonna on Halloween and um and things like that but how has this like shaped your practice I mean I know you've touched on it a little bit before but it's very it's very dear to you it seems mm -hmm. 
yeah it's it's very wrapped up in a lot of just very like personal life things that have happened um over the past few years and you know I came from like a very eclectic background and you know I still do I still you know incorporate things from from all over the world but it it really kind of tore everything apart and for a minute sort of took everything else away and there was nothing but that and um I've sort of slowly been adding things back to it um, that have sort of just come through kind of an insight of, oh, this is something that I used to practice that was like really beneficial. This is how I can kind of morph it a little bit and combine it with what I'm doing now and then make something totally new out of it and now be able to show that to other people. Um, you know, so it was four years ago, it was the last time that I moved down to Florida and I'd only been really like blogging and, and stuff for a couple of years. I wasn't super, super, um, you know, public with the poison plant stuff or anything like that yet, but that was definitely the direction that it was heading. And it was kind of through that experience of moving to Florida. And I think the Belladonna ritual kind of got everything started. And it was during the middle of my Saturn return and that entire situation fell apart. And then I remember coming back and I think that coming back in the dead of winter after living in Florida for just a few months and, and that whole disappointment or whatever was just terrible. Um, but that's really when I was kind of like at, at a very low point and I just sort of reached out to those those powers those spirits that you know I've always felt with me and was just like okay like either we're gonna do this or <laughs> or not so let's do it and that was kind of the the catalyst that really like got everything moving that eventually led into this direction so I don't think it would have would have happened uh, if it weren't for that it's very interesting um there are like times I, I feel like in a person's craft where spirits, spirit, singular, uh, spirits, plural, like push you into this, this setting. It's very like, no, this is what you're going to be doing for like, you know, anywhere from the next like week to the next six months, the next 10 years, it doesn't matter. But like, there is, it's weird how like, you're not forced, but it is like a very guided push in, in a particular direction. It's like, nope, this is what you're going to be working on and it's going to make yeah. you better. But um, for our listeners and Marshall, could you maybe, um, if you feel comfortable, could you recount that um, big Belladonna ritual that you had uh, back in Florida several years ago for us? Sure. So it's about four, four years ago, almost exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I was just doing a, a basic little Samhain, Samhain night at home and we did pumpkins and it was all very, um, very G-rated and very great <laughs> pumpkin, Charlie Brown. 
yeah, yeah, it was nice. And then the the impulse struck me as like I'm going to consume some some nightshades and. I made a tea out of some belladonna leaves and I, I drank the tea and I shared it with my husband at the time and just kind of um, went about our night. And it's interesting the way that the tropane alkaloids work because they have sort of an amnesic and delirium effect. So you really don't realize what's happening until you're kind of recounting it after the fact. It's a very strange, it's a very strange time feeling, um, you know, of, of not knowing what happened, but knowing what happened at the same time. And it's like a part of you knows it in the moment, but the conscious part of you doesn't. So just looking back, um, you know, I spent a couple of hours initially that evening once it first started to kick in. Um, my husband had gone to bed and <laughs> I was in the closet um, just, just carrying on a conversation with with whoever I thought was um, um, with me in the closet. And I think things maybe started to plateau a little bit. And then at that point I decided to smoke a little bit of henbane, which is gonna have similar properties and um, you know, typically used as an incense in necromancy and working with the dead and things like that. And I think that kind of really got things going again. And it was just, it was really a night of, lots of shadow figures. Um, I remember being outside and walking around the apartment complex and almost every tree that I would walk by, there would be a dark shadow figure that would be like looking around the side of the tree. And as soon as I would look to, to see if anyone was there, it would be gone. Um, and this went on you know, throughout the entire night and um, into the next morning. And um, I remember passing a couple of people that were like walking in their dog or, or something like that. And it was still kind of dark out. And I just remember um, the faces of those people just went very dark, very demonic, um, you know, which is going to be characteristic of working with nightshades as well. Typically, the, the visuals that you're having are generally um, fairly dark, fairly sinister. And it also kind of gives you a, just sort of an ominous sense about things. Um, you know, so they're definitely not the feel-good, um, love everybody, psychedelics, you know, let's all sing, sit in a circle and sing. Um, they do have that, that very dark component to it. Um, and I think beyond just the, the visuals that I had, I think like the, the internal changes that it kind of initiated um, just in the, the change in my overall energy it was, it was almost like I was creating sort of a, a spirit pact with these plants without necessarily intentionally knowing it or doing it. But it was after that when, you know, it was, it was essentially, this is all you're going to do and all you're going to focus on because I'm going to make it so unpleasant for you to do anything else that you're just going to have to work with these plants and talk about these plants and that's going to be your job now. Um, yeah, so it was a very intense experience, and I remember the next day, um, I just needed to get to the beach, and I needed to get to the water. Um, I just felt like this intense need to, like, replenish my energy, like, almost feeling like I had died, and um, just to, like, get that, that dark, dark feeling off, just needing to, like, be out in the sun and be near, like, the moving water and the moving energy. So it's very, very intense, very interesting, but very intense.
I feel like that is such a a, a character trait of Belladonna. Like, she, I feel, um, I don't know if you can, can speak on it, but um, I feel like a lot of the times when, especially when I speak about Belladonna, um, I think I've even mentioned it on here. Like, you know, she'll she'll kind of kick your ass a little bit. Um, she's very beautiful, very gracious. And at the same time, I find it very interesting. And I don't want to like like um ring lead your experience because your your experience is your own, but it feels very like in that moment. And she's like, Oh, you thought you were just gonna like have a nice time? She's like, oh baby, we're packed now. I'm in you. I am in you, honey. <laughs> like, this is I, this is all it's going to be about. Let me lead the way for you. Welcome. Yeah, she's definitely the dom in that relationship. <laughs> I, Belladonna gives me very like femdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Energy. Like she's got like the most sexy patent leather um, stilettos that like lace up to the groin and Mm -hmm. she's wearing like a nice like bustier um it's really hot yeah totally and it's you know it's one to great a work a great one to work with too for people that are healing from sexual trauma or have some kind of repressed emotional issues that are related to sex or feel some kind of taboo or some kind of shame or something like that um you know working with this plant spirit just helps to um, you know, break through all of those um, modes of thinking. So you can kind of apply it in different different ways like that too. Um, but I do want to say that they are very dangerous. Um, they do have the potential to put you in the hospital and hurt you severely. So definitely do not recommend anybody drinking any kind of tea made out of nightshades or ingesting them orally in any way. <laughs> very that, very that. Yeah, I, it's, it's, was when the first time I ever heard that story, I was like, oh shit, that's bold. Like doing, like drinking. When we ingest nightshades, it's usually transdermally. Um, sometimes occasionally through like us a fumigation. So you're not even directly inhaling it. You're kind of like inhaling the smoke, but at a distance. And when I heard that story, you were just like, oh yeah, I just made a tea. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, when you know the the medicinal doses and kind of that lethal threshold and can stay within that, then at least, you know, you know, I'm not crossing this threshold where, yeah, I might, it may be an unpleasant experience, but, you know, I'm not going to stop my heart or, you know, not be able to breathe or something like that. Important. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm curious, there are other modern day medicines and medications we have today that are used by, um, medical professionals that stem from belladonna do you know what a few of those are yeah so atropine would be the main one um atropine sulfate and it's just um isolating these these pure alkaloid compounds um to use in medicine um atropine is used in ophthalmology to dilate the pupils because it has that midriatic effect of um you know making the the black part of your eyes bigger so they'll use that in eye exams um, typically, you know, atropine, hyoscyamine are going to be used more for like gastrointestinal issues. Um, they kind of stop like the bodily secretions and paralyze some of the, the smooth muscle tissue. 
um, that, that controls like involuntary movement. So people with different GI issues will often get um, prescribed atropine to kind of help with that or it's like um, anti-diarrhea medication. And then you get more on the scopolamine side of it, which is gonna be more predominant in like Datura and, um, and vein than belladonna. And that's gonna be more for um, like motion sickness, motion sickness patches, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, atropine, which I believe we can synthetically make in a lab, I'm pretty sure they don't um, harvest it from. Uh, oh, oh, go ahead. I, I just found an article about that. So I've, I've mentioned it on social media. One of the reasons that it's so difficult to find these plants beyond people not wanting to get into kind of the liability issue of it is because the majority of commercially grown nightshades are grown specifically for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and there was like a big shortage back in World War II where we were having to grow Datura to get the atropine because we weren't getting it from Belladonna that was in Europe or something along those lines. But they recently discovered how to um, synthesize tropane alkaloids, I believe through like some sort of um, fermentation process. And this was an article from September 2020. So they, who knows, um, you know, where they're at with it now. But you know, with that being viable now, it, it may open up for you know it to be more available to um, like the herbalists, medicinal herbalists, which would probably be like the next ones down on the rung from the <laughs> pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> so I was a little incorrect, I guess, we haven't been able to synthesize atropines until very recently. Synthesize it, right. We've been able to isolate it since 1831, but we haven't been able to create it synthetically until recently. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I yeah. love that. Come on, modern um, drugs, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, I think really, really cool. It, I think, I don't know, I, when I hear things like that, it reminds me about how progressive science is, and I know, like, just to come back to, to perfumery for, like, five seconds, like, when, when we think of, like, isolating or synthesizing particular aroma molecules, which is going to be very similar in, um, uh, medicinal herbalism and, and poison plant, um, poison plant magic and things like that we often think that like we have it all figured out and I think that permeates into the occult sphere as well is very like oh we we've read that book like we've read that manuscript we have it all figured out and then it's so interesting to hear things like 2020 we just discovered how to synthesize tropane alkaloids or um you know we we find um you know, little manuscripts that have been lost in libraries or things like that, or, or um, uh, courthouses or something like that. We find those every once in a while. And it's like, oh, this is like a piece of information that nobody's translated. And um, it's a witch story or, or something like that. Or even to bring it back to perfumery, like we're still discovering 
aroma molecules and chemicals that are in jasmine. Like we haven't figured out what makes jasmine smell like, I mean, we know for the majority what makes jasmine smell like jasmine, but we're still finding these like new chemicals that are like in jasmine absolute and essential oil. And it's, it's just really cool to hear that it doesn't stop progressing just because we think that we figured it out and it's constant. It's a constant evolvement and evolution and, and change. And I think that's really cool and beautiful. Yeah. It's important too with, um, you know, just talking about ethnobotanical plants or plants with a psychoactive and um, ceremonial use. You know, we, we understand, we can isolate some of the chemicals, we can synthesize them. You know, we have an understanding of, of how they work on the human body individually, but there's a real lack in, you know, what, what purpose do these chemicals actually serve for the plant? Why are they there in the first place if they're only affecting humans? Um, and what was I gonna say on that point? Just um, how the, not only the alkaloids, but terpenes and flavonoids and essential oils and all of these different components are really acting in synergy. So while it's important to kind of understand things about pure alkaloids and chemistry and that it's really, you know, a synergy of all of these things working together. And that's most, most, most important to like the magical ceremonial aspect of it. Um, I agree. I agree. I agree. I know, especially because I will talk about the isolation of particular chemicals and things like that but I also think it's very important which I think for for a lot of the people in the magical community it's very important to how these chemicals holistically work together and then how also is this like where is the spirit like where is the you know the actual um spiritual side of the plant and the and the plant nature and the the god where's the god um as i as i have now started to enjoy saying where is god where is he where is she where is the god um so can we like can i ask kobe i want to like dispel some of the myths about uh poison plants and the poison path so the first one that i have to ask is it all about getting fucked up <laughs> is that what we're here for? For a cute little trip? Definitely not. While that is often part of the daily routine, it's, it's not the, the goal of what we're trying to do. And that's important to understand too with entheogenic experiences that they are on a very broad spectrum. And there's all, all different ways that you can alter consciousness to benefit you in a ritual capacity or to help your help your train of mind or help your focus or help the help your ability to you know sense and move energy they they affect you in all of these different ways so it's not necessarily seeking a a high or a trip or this intense like hallucinogenic experience every time um you know with with entheogens and ceremonial herbs while those are important experiences and very cathartic experiences to have those more intense trips, it's not something that you're going to be doing on a regular basis. It is a rite of passage. It's, you know, most people only get married once or twice or three times in a lifetime. You know, you're not doing it every weekend. These are meant to be very transformative type experiences when you're working with them that intensely, um, you know, so it's not, not something that you're doing 
like I said, on the full moon. It's a rite of passage. It's kind of a opening the gateway to the next stage or to something different, but it's not, it's not the, it's not that you have to do it every single time to get there once you've gotten there because you're building that. It's becoming, you know, part of your psyche, part of your spiritual practice, part of your, you know, just sort of in, internal understanding of cosmology and things like that. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I shove a Daturus tincture soaked tampon up my ass every weekend. So um, there's that. Mm -hmm. That would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does actually sound quite terrible that and dry. So terrible. Very dry. Very, dry. <laughs> very, very, I need some hymns afterwards. Yeah. Not hymns, mama. <laughs> not hit pure for men i know that i have had some amazing entheogenic experiences but also some very uncomfortable ones and i will admit um looking back it's one of those things where i did not realize what i was going i was going to have an uncomfortable <laughs> entheogenic experience till it was a little too late uh mm -hmm. and it was one of those that made me realize like okay this is not something that can be done quite so either haphazardly, if that makes sense. It needs to be done in, in the right setting. It needs to be done in, in, in I'm not going to say in a safety measure, because there's always going to be a sense of, of not 100%. Well, that's not always true. The way that I know you make your products in general, they're pretty safe to use. So I'm talking mm -hmm. about some other things that I've done. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and uh, sometimes like one, the time that it wasn't so great, I was not in the right setting. I was doing it haphazardly. And it was one of those situations where I was like, okay, take note of this. You do not want to experience this again. And I've very much learned a lesson from that plant spirit. And that plant spirit had a lot to teach me that I wasn't mm -hmm. quite so ready to learn just yet. Yep, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the times, too, with these entheogenic experiences, um, a lot of the times the plants are like, are you, are you abusing me? Like, are you, are you using me, like, out of a context that I didn't consent to? And it, I know that's not actually the dialogue that I'm hearing, but it feels very much in that realm of, like, I don't like this and I don't like the way that you're treating me right now so fuck you I'm gonna make your time really horrible here um I don't know if either of you have ever experienced that but I've never had like this very you know, I've never been through a very intense journey like that yet um in my poison adventures <laughs> But I feel like from, from the experiences of other people that I've heard about, and even like teetering on some of the experiences that I've dealt with, with some of the plant spirits that I've worked with, it's like, mm, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to apply to, you know, using, using the more innocuous entheogens too for, for meditation or for yoga, you know, um, blue lotus or cannabis or um, passion flower, any of the flying ointments, it's going to apply to that too. The, the set setting, the ritual, you know, all of those 
kind of mental tools that you have to use are super integral to it being an entheogenic experience. Because if you just sit down and you have a cup of blue lotus tea or you smoke a smoking blend, you'll be like, oh, okay, I'm relaxed. That's about it. If you're, you know, you're kind of treating it in the same way where, yeah, it's just, it's just blue lotus. It's not a super intense entheogen, but if you're leaving sort of that, that ritual component out, that component that is sort of attuning your subconscious to a more, you know, sacred mindset or intention for what you're doing, you know, that's, that's when you're going to have more, more noticeable experiences, more, more profound experiences using things like flying ointments or smoking blends or flower essences. You know, a lot of these are vibrational remedies. A lot of these are working on, you know, phytognosis and the genius of the plant and things like that too. So we can't like forget the magical component because that's the whole reason that we're using them. Um, so you, you know, you put the thing on and it doesn't do anything and you're like, oh, well, they didn't make that very well. Well, what did you do? Oh, well, nothing. I just, I rubbed it on my, my wrists one afternoon and waited a couple hours and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, you didn't do anything. You, you literally rubbed some plant salve on your wrists at that point. Um, yeah, it's it's very it's very that. And I think I'm so I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad we're here. Um, I find with a lot of, um, you know, creators of magical goods, a lot of the times when people are disappointed by the way that a lot of these or some of these things work, not all of them, but like some of these things work. And I'm like, well, you do have to actually work for it, gal. Like, yes, I'm doing stuff on my end, but you know, it is, it's a tool for you. And you don't like, I think in our very consumer heavy um, occult world that we're in, that is all, you know, it's, it's very much about buying, which there's nothing wrong with supporting yourself and making a living, but it is, it is very consumerist. It can be at times. And a lot of people, you know, we, we buy a tool because that's going to give us magic. We buy a piece of jewelry because that's going to give us the magic or, um, you know, we buy, 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 just so that we can be more magical. And I think the argument has to be stated. It's like, you know, where is, where is the work coming in? Where is, where, what are, what are you putting into it? You know? Definitely. And that is kind of how they get, get treated. You know, they're, they're a little obscure. They're a little bit harder to get a hold of. So they definitely have that feeling of like this, you know, sort of off limits. Oh, you know, if I can get my hands on this, then I'm going to have this, this extra thing that nobody else has or whatever. So there's definitely an, an element of that to it. And um, not to say that they're, they're not special and that that experience of, you know, finally getting to work with a plant that you've been interested in in a physical capacity is, you know, definitely a magical experience too. Just remembering all those things. Yes, lots of remembering a lot of, um, there's a lot more to it sometimes. Um, Another myth that I wanted to see if you could dispel and or disclose more information on, is it like, so we know for several 
years until probably very recently, especially in like, I think mostly the early 2000s, the 90s, you know, those, those books, especially like Scott Cunningham and, and things like that. It was very much like never touch any of these plants. These plants are so bad. They're so dead, like touching them will kill you. And while there are like very toxic plants that um, can give you phytotoxic burns or I'm sorry, phototoxic burns mm-hmm. like um, uh, water hemlock or um, uh, monk's hood, I think can be very, like very toxic and foxglove and things like that. Um, are, how dangerous are these plants? Like, should we be engaging with them? And and not just like the the really toxic ones like wolfsbane, but like also um, belladonna and datura and things like that. Are they okay? They're okay. You know, we've been using these plants medicinally for hundreds and hundreds of years, and people have been consuming them in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, up until really just the past 200 years or so that it's kind of fallen out. Um, you know, so looking back on that and looking back on the fact that there's still traditional societies that are working with a lot of these plants and smoking them and ingesting them in different ways and surviving. Um, you know, so we've got all of this history and all of this tradition saying that, you know, people are using these plants in these ways, but then we've also got these modern practitioners that are saying, um, you know, stay away from poisonous plants. Poison means poison. Poison is deadly. You're going to kill yourself, blah, blah, blah. They are definitely potent. Um, and there are certain plants, like you mentioned, you know, hemlock, wolfsbane, hellbore, um, ones like that, that just are extremely toxic. And, and those are the ones that you, you really do want to, to be careful with. Um, but, you know, there is has been sort of a lot of a lot of extra fear and, and misinformation around them. And we have to remember too, like in, in the 90s and the early 2000s when paganism was really kind of making just sort of that comeback, there was a lot of sort of whitewashing of everything and trying to make things more palatable and more marketable to this sort of new age audience that a lot of the traditional practices and folk practices or things that were maybe too closely identified with with the devil or something that made you know witchcraft look a little bit too spooky a lot of those things were sort of just left you know in the back room to gather dust while um you know we're writing about all of these other topics so there's there's just sort of like a knowledge gap there and people don't really have anything to base it on um so we're just using what we understand um, you know, with our own language and context that when you hear the word poison, you automatically assume deadly. Um, you know, there's poison ivy, there's food poisoning, um, sun poisoning. You can be poisoned in all, all sorts of different ways. Even, um, you know, going to the bar is uh, you're getting intoxicated. It's a neurotoxin. Um, so poison does not always ultimately mean death. Um, while the they definitely have the potential to put you in the hospital if you're working with them irresponsibly. Um, but you know, today, like with with modern medicine, the chances of actually dying from you know specifically the nightshades or you know psychedelic mushrooms or things like that is is really very low because you know we can treat all of that. We have all of the supportive care and antitoxins and things like that to get you through that period of of poisoning where in previous years we didn't have that treatment 
and leaving it untreated is, is really what leads to, to death ultimately. Um, so it's not going to be that or then accidentally ingested too much of this plant, like I'm, I'm done. You know, you better call poison control. Like you better go to the hospital. But um, so it's just, you know, understanding that just like everything else, it's all sort of on a on a spectrum, and it's it's not this deadly or not deadly. They're all just varying different types of medicine and different types of chemical components that you know the the things that are poisonous in the plants are the same things that we're pulling out of them for their medicinal properties too. They're exactly the same chemicals. I just read a post this morning before we started the podcast and I didn't know this little bit, but sometimes um, atropines will be used or utilized to um, aid in heavy metal toxicity and like removing heavy metal toxicity. There is a, um, in the uh, pigment formulary that I'm doing, there's a uh, pigment that is very well known uh, called Prussian blue um, that also does a similar thing. It's helped to remove mercury from the body, lead, um, you know, those heavy metals that you don't want in your system. Uh, mm -hmm. Prussian blue was the first like modern synthetic blue pigment, whereas we had like ultramarine in the past, which is ground up lapis lazuli. Um, and what Prussian blue did was it, it made it very accessible to people to purchase. And it was made by accident by uh, an alchemist named uh, Johann Dippel. And he um, accidentally mixed up some uh, blood and some bull's blood and um, something else incorrectly. As, and it was contaminated with a particular chemical. I think I don't have my 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 sheet with me, so I can tell you what the chemical was. Um, but when he did it, he was trying to create like a, a red pigment, but he accidentally created uh, an ultramarine blue. And um, it's used medically to help remove um, heavy metal poisonings from the body. So I found that was really interesting. I did not know that about atropines, that they were um, able to help with uh, fixing that problem as well. So I think that's really interesting. Definitely. Yeah, I look at your um, Instagram posts all the time on Poisoner's Apothecary, and you are so, you're, you're so detailed with the type of, of information you give in your captions about the plants that you work with. And I love that they always go so succinctly, like captions do, <laughs> with the pictures, but you, I don't know, the way that you write about them, they don't always necessarily come across quite as medical or medicinal as much as they come across as um, like a, a plant spirit ally. Like you write about them both ways, which I find really amazing because a lot of times people think of poison plants. We do think of a lot of medicines, but I don't think a lot of people are always thinking about what what kind of magical spirit lives within this type of plant? And I noticed that's what a lot of your content is about. And I really appreciate that, especially when it came to like the little like spirit house necklaces that you create, the charms, they're, they're stunning, they're gorgeous. And yeah. it's not about rubbing it on your body. It's not about ingesting it. It's not about smoking it. It's not about anything that's going to 
uh, uh, poison you in some way as much as it is about the, I don't know, the, the, the beauty of the plant and the spirit itself and carrying it with you, whether that's a necklace or a bracelet or, or a ring or whatnot, uh, I still have your uh, toadstone ring that, that I got from you. Which was great. That's that's another little tangent, but um, the work that you put out is is extremely beautiful. And I'm curious what the process is like when you are working with these plants. To uh, I guess like how do you personally commune with them? If you don't mind sharing anything like that, would that be something you'd be open to talking about? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so the, the esoteric magical side has always kind of been my main area of focus, my main area of interest. And I've had to kind of learn the, the chemical side of it just to, you know, keep myself up to speed with everything. But I've always been, been more intrigued by working with them as plant spirit allies and, um, you know, just conscious entities, plant spirit familiars and a lot of the things like the lockets, like you mentioned, they, they kind of come together on their own and it's really interesting. And I'll, I'll just sort of collect different materials, different stones or bones and things that I, I think are neat and things will just be sitting out for a while. And then all of a sudden, just all the folklore <laughs> jumbling around in my mind, I'll make some kind of a, a different connection. I'm like, oh, I can combine that and that for this quality and that quality, and it's going to make something totally new and different. And just to see like the different ways that the herbs come together and the different sort of intentions or, or currents of energy that they display when they're all together in that container is really cool. And a lot of times it, it just feels like they are sort of working through me. Um, you know, I do have almost 200 products on the website and I've told myself I'm not making any more for a while, but it's almost like they're just sitting here waiting for me to do something with them. And I'll just have like a, an epiphany of, you know, I want to make this, this sexy, seductive Babylon bath oil, or, you know, this just very dark necromantic um, incense or whatever, and just, just all the different energies at play around here um it's it's just magical <laughs> it's a mess but it's magical <laughs> <laughs> that is not the truth <laughs> i um i'm curious kobe how would you recommend people who are interested on the poison path like what would you recommend they start doing start reading etc cetera, etc cetera? yeah so i would recommend first to grow the plants, um, see what plants you can find like in your local nurseries, you'd be really surprised like <clears throat> a lot of our ornamental plants are extremely toxic. Uh, you know, kind of what's popping up in your natural environment. Um, you know, not everything has to be a, a European nightshade or mandrake or something like that. You know, we've got pokeweed, we've got woody nightshade, um, you, we've got all of these, you know, North American poisonous plants too, that all sort of have a different lesson or different medicine um, to share with us. So um, just getting access to them because you just really can't like stress enough how much you actually learn from a plant just by seeing it on a daily basis and taking care of it and being a part of that relationship with it. It's almost like the the growing of the physical plant and tending to it 
does something with your subconscious when you're reading about it and you're studying with it that it's almost like that plant is kind of communicating with you be like oh hey you need to look over here or like see how these two things connect and it just kind of enhances the whole whole experience to be able to do that and now that they are more available people are able to do it yeah i um i'm currently growing datura um What's the species? It's gibson weed, essentially. Stramonium. It is stramonium. Thank you. Um, although I'm really wanting to grow some anoxia as well. Um, but just learning about the plant in its very physical, like, this is how you start, like, this is how you take care of me. And I had a hard time starting my datura seeds. Um, you know, I basically had to like expose them to very, very extreme heat for quite a bit of time and lots of moisture. I was, I, I thought the seeds were just going to mold. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. I'll just leave it there and see if something happens. And then finally I got like three sprouts and only one of them survived and she's doing so well. I just keep her out in the sun and let her get nice and hot and steamy. And it's, it's a good time. But the interesting thing is, is like you get to learn how to mimic its growing and uh, growing conditions. Um, it's just it's a really beautiful experience, and especially when you get to start whispering the the names of your enemies to to the poison plants. Um, I think it's really, really, really <clears throat> lovely. So, Kobe, um, along with growing the plants um that you have a book coming out very soon when is the release date and what's the title if you know it so the title is the poison path herbal and they moved the release date from the 5th to the 12th so it's going to be available on the 12th now for sale um, it's on pre-order now but i believe anybody that pre-orders it should get it um, by the release date of October, right? October, yes. Yeah, okay. sorry, I'm already in October. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, no, spooky season started um, uh, earlier this week. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, okay. So it's, it's going to be a book by you, which I'm super excited to have this out in the world. I think it would be really good for people who are interested in the um, poison path or want to like deep dive into it more. Um, kind of using it as resource material to be better magical practitioners of some sort. Can you talk a little bit about what it was about? Yeah, the, it's it's a book about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> kind of some of my own theories and ways of categorizing poisonous plants in particular. Um, I do put a lot of Kind of emphasis on on the more poisonous ones too uh, because i think there's you know there's just a lot to unpack there in the plants simply for their their poisonous nature kind of leaving the entheogenic side out of it um you know so just exploring the the connection that they have to to different currents of witchcraft and different spirits associated with, with witchcraft um so it is kind of a a book of, of folk witchcraft or traditional witchcraft in a way too, with a little smattering of you know, occultism and 
Western esoteric tradition and alchemy uh, all sort of woven together to paint these really, really detailed profiles of each plant um, to then translate that into different ways that they can be utilized in spell work and in magical practice. Um, you know, there's formulary, there is growing information for each one, how to start them off from seeds. Um, I did a really extensive uh, bibliography and like further reading list of a bunch of other books on ethnobotany and phytochemistry, um, because there's not really anything that touches on those topics that's written from the perspective of, of witchcraft or occultism or anything like that. It's all very um, academic or anthropological. Um, so then kind of taking that information and filtering it through the lens of a modern witch magical practitioner and just sort of creating a a new language in a way, I guess, for people to use to um, employ these plants in their practice because the, the uses for them are so, so varied and so many, um, you know, beyond using them as, as entheogens. And I really think that the, the most enriching part of it comes with utilizing them in spell work. And, and just like Marshall was mentioning earlier about the, the lockets and wearing them as, as talismanic charms or sort of a, a totem to connect with a, a particular spirit ally. Um, you know, we make, we wear charms of you know, like lavender and lemon balm or, you know, carry patchouli for prosperity or, or bay leaves or whatever. And, you know, we give them <clears throat> this sort of magical, energy that is just simply because, you know, bay leaves are used for prosperity. So it has that prosperity money-making magic to it. So we can put it in a little thing and wear it around our neck and that's gonna influence our vibration and focus our intention or whatever. But for some reason, when it comes to entheogens and poisonous plants, as soon as we put them in a piece of jewelry, <laughs> um, people start saying, they use the, the term inert to describe them. As if, you know, we've, we've taken out that chemical element and now they're somehow unaffected. So why with these plants that are so intimately associated with magic and witchcraft and the spirit realm, why are they not able to like maintain some of that spiritual power when we're using them more sympathetically or more ritually when we can burn uh, an incense of, of herbs that we found in the kitchen and give that all of this sort of magical power through its vibration or its unseen properties or whatever. Um, so it's just always like that battle between chemistry and spirituality and one being better than the other. And it's just, it just, people think differently when it comes to these, these types of plants, I think. Yeah, I, um, that's very interesting. I, I know somebody who works with resin a lot and making like resin, aside from you, because I know you do it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and when it, like they were telling me that they had a complaint from somebody being like, well, it's plastic. And it's like, well, I've, I've used it a lot and it's just fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's still working. Um, there is this really weird dichotomy I find in the occult community. Uh, or the the wider magical community spectrum about like this like preserved um, holding on to like an idealized untrue 
glamorized version of like what is natural and what is synthetic and what is real mm -hmm. and what is not real. Um, I don't like a lot of those words anyways, but mm -hmm. yeah, that just a little, just a little side tangent. When people that want to go that route too with the resin, um, you know, you're mixing two liquids together, two separate components, and it's creating this alchemical reaction you know when you're working with the resin like it actually heats up it gets warm there's a chemical reaction happening there going from liquid to solid so it's very alchemical um so it's i think it's all, all a matter of how you look at it yes um i think having a magical perspective to damn near just about everything is is quite quite important um kobe you also have some workshops coming out as well one that i really want to to take which is um i believe the uh flying ointments course correct yeah yeah got flying ointments coming on october 1st um so this is going to be kind of like a a revised edition of my flying ointment class that I did a couple of years ago. Um, so just kind of like renewing things and adding new new research and information. That sounds very exciting. Is, mm -hmm. is that going to kind of like go over um, like a little bit more formulary? Is it more like a presentation on um, the anthropological um, side of things, or is it kind of all of it together? Uh, so I always talk about the history. I always talk about the, you know, the magical side of things too, because that's super important to me and just very interesting to me, but it is a formulary focused class. Um, so we'll go through the process of making an herbal salve and, um, you know, extracting properties from specific plants and how to do that most effectively using um, different menstruum or different solvents, different oil bases, and how those um, will affect the end result and give you different qualities. So lots of hands-on stuff. I love that. I want to take a, I was looking into the class and, and looking at when it was, um, when did you say it was again? In October? Yeah, so it'll be live October 1st. Um, it will be recorded, so anybody can watch it, you know, anytime after that, too. That's helpful. A lot of people all, all over the place. It's hard to, to hit the right time zone for everybody. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, Kobe, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think it's everything is really exciting what you have coming out and I can't wait to see more. Your book is being released the 12th of October. And what was the title again? The Poison Path Herbal. Sweet. And then where can people find your social media, your website? I know you're on Instagram. I don't know if you're still on TikTok. Nope, banned from TikTok, haven't gotten back on. <laughs> you were banned? I was banned. Oh yeah. no. For talking yeah. about drugs. Oh, that's, you know, <laughs> uh, that actually doesn't surprise me with the clock app, al clock app algorithm. That's what we call it now. Yep, it was a combo of, of drugs, the devil, and fire that got me. Ah. Oh, I forgot <laughs> you told me. Yes, I forgot fire. you told me it was the fire. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I love that. Wow, what a weird world we live in. It truly is. Yeah, but I am. I'm on Instagram, um, Poisoners Apothecary. 
Um, the website is thepoisonersapothecary.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on a number of different platforms. So if you just Google Poisoners Apothecary, they'll all pop up, Tumblr, Twitter, all those guys. Perfect. Um, uh, I definitely want to go on the pre-order for your book for sure. Is that going to be available on uh, uh, your website or Amazon or just where books are sold? Yeah, so right now it's available for pre-order on Amazon and with the publisher Inner Traditions. Um, you could go through like Simon & Schuster too. Um, so it is on pre-order right now and it comes out on the 12th. I just want to know how many occult imprints Simon & Schuster have. They have a few, don't they? Quite a few, yeah. Park Street, Inner Traditions. Um, a new this maybe i'm making that one up i don't know why I, it's so interesting <laughs> to me because when i think of simon and schuster i think of like mostly children's books because i think mm -hmm. they publish a lot of children's books like they published boxcar kids didn't they i don't remember but i know they like published a lot of like children's like or young adult novels and so every time i hear like everyone's like oh yeah you just find it through simon and schuster and i'm like how many occult imprints do they have to their publication right. house <laughs> It's so um, true. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so very much, Kobe, for joining us. Do you want to say closing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Commercial? You've been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. And I'm Kobe, Poisoner's Apothecary. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Southern Bramble is a Patreon. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, and I would like to thank the top tier of our patrons right now: Mandy Varplus, Aditi Steppens, Timothy, the Witch of Elfane, Pamela Staryak, Nicolette Glixa, the Lady Ghost, Courtney, Key Archambald, and of course Anastasia Beaverhausen. Thank you so much for your support.